CBHDD is reminding people that the Georgia Crisis and Access Line can help those worried about opioid and stimulant misuse. The toll-free number is online and is active 24-7. More information at opioidresponse.info. So long, farewell, I'll be to saying adieu. Adieu, adieu, to you and you and you. Who could we possibly find to send off 2020 more cheerfully than the children of the Sound of Music? Goodbye, so long. Goodbye, farewell, Avidersen 2020. We are all glad to put you in the rearview mirror and move on. Uh, that said, we know that difficult times remain ahead. The end of 2020, in some ways, is merely symbolic of the fact that we are ending one of the worst years that most of us have lived through. Uh, and 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 so today we're going to forego politics. We just don't want to dive into that muck today. We do that every other day, and I hope we do it in a way that enlightens and informs. But today, I want to turn to some of the most important, uh, best-known faith leaders in North Georgia and talk to them about what the year has been for them, for their friends, their families, their congregations, and to hear how they're looking ahead to 2021 and what they might have to say to us about how we can live better lives through difficult times. Um, I'm going to introduce everybody very quickly. They all have great credentials, uh, but we have a lot to talk about, and a lot of people on the show today uh, just know that these are leaders who have made a difference uh, in North Georgia and well beyond. First of all, it's Thursday, which means my partner on the show today is, as usual, AJC editor Kevin Riley. We're glad that uh, Kevin is with us today. Now, our faith leader panel, um, the Reverend Dr. Joanna Adams. She is most recently the retired pastor of Morningside Presbyterian Church, but Joanna Adams has been well-known uh, throughout Metro Atlanta for many years, has pastored uh, churches in the Metro Atlanta area, and has been a national leader in the Presbyterian movement as well. Uh, Iman Pliman Elamin, who is the Imam Emeritus of the Atlanta Masjid of Al-Islam, is with us today. He, too, has uh, been involved as a very active community leader and uh, worked with Joanna, uh, with our other panelists on the show today, who include Rabbi Peter Berg, the senior rabbi at the temple, and uh, the Reverend Dr. Kevin Muriel, who is the pastor of Cascade United Methodist Church. First of all, Kevin, I've got to say, I am, I'm, I'm frankly a little bit intimidated by what a remarkable group of people we put together because I don't quite know how to talk to these folks. They are way above my pay grade in dealing with uh, matters of spiritual and, uh, and, and emotional uh, uh, help that they give out there to their communities. Well, I'll, t I'll say the same thing, Bill. It's a little, uh, uh, I'm looking for, forward to the show so much, but a little intimidated with the uh, the topic and the credentials of the folks we have on. Um, but uh, I think the listeners will enjoy it. And uh, I'm with you. I'm glad we, looks like we're going to make it through 2020 one way or another. 
I think so. Uh, that said, I have known uh, most of you and know you pretty well. And so before the show went on the air, I asked you if, despite your very impressive credentials, we can all call each other by our first names. You said absolutely. With that in mind, Joanna, let me start with you, uh, Reverend Adams. Um, just give us a little capsulation, and then we'll get everybody in, into this. Just tell us fairly briefly what your journey through 2020 has been like. How difficult has it been for you? Um, where have you found hope and inspiration? Just give us a little bit to start with. Sure, and I, I do want to reassure you, Bill, that even if you are uh, intimidated by all the clergy on your show today and don't know what to say to us, believe me, we are really good at talking to back to you. So <laughs> no worries. <laughs> I, I, I guess I would describe 2020 just from a personal perspective as uh, sailing through choppy waters. Uh, you, you know, ju it's just hard to get a smooth sail every day. And uh, the, 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 the loss around us and the suffering uh, and the unknown that we are, are uh, making our way through, uh, you know, it's, it's heartbreaking and uh, anxiety-producing, um, and it's, it's um, you know, I can't remember in the last, through, uh, you know, since March, getting 24-7 uh, smooth sail, um, you know, at the same time. Uh, what I've tried to do, and I think have done pretty well with, is, is uh, you know, be very conscious of focusing on things that are beautiful and lasting and true and to not let, um, uh, you know, the, the headlines of the day uh, define all of reality for me. You know, whether it's um, having my dog take a nap on my lap or... Uh, reading the prayers of John Donne from the 17th century, being very intentional about uh, being centered in myself, being centered in my faith. Uh, so that's for starters. Oh, thank you. Kevin Muriel, you, you not only, of course, have had to negotiate a tough year for yourself, your family, but you have a congregation who you've had to lead through troubled times. Just give us a, a, your snapshot impression of what the year's been like for you. Absolutely, and thank you, Bill, and uh, so good to be with all of my friends and colleagues this morning. Uh, 2020 has, has been an unprecedented year. It's been a year like none other, uh, and just to be quite frank, it's been tough. Um, it's been challenging. It's been trying. Um, we can you know, pull out as many words for it, and it's been certainly unpredictable, um, and I think uh, one of the things that uh, I have been able to draw from this year is that uh, life is unpredictable. And I think we expect the predictability of life, and we are reminded in seasons like this uh, as to how unpredictable life truly can be. Um, but I have been encouraged by the resilience um, that I have seen from various people groups. Uh, I've been resilient. I mean, I've been uh, so, so, I think, just grateful um, from the for the resilience of our church members, uh, we've lost people uh, during this time, uh, and it's been tragic. It, it it has been extremely tragic. Um, and you know, if we can be honest, uh, I think for for leaders 
uh, especially faith leaders, uh, this has tried and challenged our leadership uh, because of the suffering that has been around us uh, with our members and families. And uh, in the midst of all of this, um, my faith tells me that uh, we can still make it. And, you know, we've been in the midst of political unrest. We've been in, and I know we weren't going to talk about politics, and I'm not going there, but I think you have to <laughs> kind of include this in the narrative from political unrest to social unrest. Um, you know, we have continued to see uh, the senseless killings of unarmed uh, black and brown people in America. Uh, we've had to go through protests in the midst of all of this. Um, and so and, and so that does kind of speak to the deep anxiety uh, that we bring to the kind of the full picture of uh, 2020. So what I will say is that we're making it and I'm not making any lofty promises to anybody or any of my congregate congregate in 2021. Uh, I think I'll take the mantra from 2020 and going into 2021 and just say, look, it is what it is. Come what may, we're going to get through it. <laughs> by, by the way, Kevin Muriel, I'm glad you mentioned uh, uh, what you did about the protests, about the deaths of uh, Ahmaud Arbery. Uh, you didn't mention them by name of, 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 of black men and women uh, killed by police. Uh, I think that's fair game. I think the quest for so racial justice this year is absolutely something that we need to talk with you all about on this show today. So please, that's not off limits today at all. Okay. Uh, Peter Berg, um, it's been, you, you've had to lead your family and congregation through this as well. And uh, one of the things I noticed about you, and I'm not trying to force you in a direction to make your kind of opening remarks, but I'm interested in the fact that in addition to your uh, uh, experiences, your education uh, in, in, uh, as a rabbi, um, you have a certificate in chemical dependency and spiritual counseling. And I would suspect that those are things that have come in handy as you've tried to navigate the crisis of the past year um, and, and, and have dealt with that with, with uh, congregation members or whatever. But go ahead, say whatever uh, feels right to you right now. Good morning, uh, Bill and Kevin, and my friends who are uh, a part of this. It's uh, a part of the healing of, of this of this year is having clergy friends uh, who you know who we can do, depend upon and, and support each other. Uh, and uh, yes, yeah, sometimes you get these degrees, and, and you never know whether they're going to help or not, or be worth the time. Uh, but uh, but certainly um, um, uh, that has been helpful because. Uh, I can't think of a time in my uh, almost 25 years in the rabbinate um, where uh, more pastoral counseling um, has been a part of every single day. And we have to learn how to do that in new and different ways, uh, you know, on the telephone, on FaceTime, on Zoom. And, and that's, that's really been a, ch it's been a challenge. Um, so I, uh, I think part of what you alluded to is that this has been a challenging year for us personally, for our families. Uh, we've been uh, working, you know, partially from home, some, some of us with young children um, in school and trying to navigate that at the same time, uh, trying to run congregations. Uh, you know, I, I joke that I'm now a televangelist because everything switched to, to TV all of a sudden. And um, I, I've, had, I've had to learn how to be a... a a TV, a TV personality and I've run everything on TV. Um, and, and that's been difficult. Um, uh, uh, but one thing I think that, uh, that's given me hope. And I, and I, I woke up once um, in, in, in the middle of the night 
And, you know, everyone uses this slogan, this is the new normal. And, and I said to myself, what if we were to embrace that? What if we were to embrace the idea that this is the new normal? Uh, and instead of um, fighting it and, and, and throwing things at the wall, uh, to, to say to ourselves, uh, this is this is the world we live in now, and and what can we do to um, to make it a better place, and to uh, to use our faith to embrace the the new normalness, whatever that means. You know, you know what I love about that. We're, you're already all of you starting to tie themes together. It's, it's very similar to what Kevin Muriel told us a minute ago, which is the year taught us about unpredict about dealing with unpredictability and finding a way to incorporate it in who we are. And you're making a very similar observation uh, about that same thing. Plimon, let me uh, get you in here and ask you for your uh, first comments, and then Kevin Riley, I want to give you a chance to weigh in, of course. Yeah. Well. Uh, ditto to everything he was said. So, so like the the house uh, they showed on the news with all these elaborate Christmas decorations, and his neighbor had uh, it lit up his sign that said "Ditto" and pointed to the other person's house. <laughs> <laughs> so ditto to everything he was said. You know, you know the uh, the Islamic community, the Muslim community is. Uh, uh, Coming together is a priority in our religion. Uh, we have the five daily prayers, and, and usually anywhere from uh, 30 to, to 50 people are coming for those five daily prayers. The, the, that's just at one mosque, and we have uh, 50 mosques throughout the, throughout the city, metropolitan area. And then we have the Juma, where everybody comes in, and, and part of that Juma service is standing shoulder to shoulder, foot to foot, uh, toe-to-toe and, and making these prostrations in the prayer. And all of that had to stop. You know, we uh, occasionally will allow maybe six or seven people to come in and they have to stay distance between each other. So you're missing that whole idea of, of being a collective body. Uh, even uh, the Hodge. Hodge, you normally have uh, five million people coming to, to the pilgrimage to Mecca only 10,000 were allowed, and those were only from uh, the Arabian Air, Saudi Arabia area. Uh, we, we had Ramadan during this uh, pandemic, and it's really a social uh, event where we're fasting from dawn to, to, to sunset, and we're unable to touch base with that. But now, one, one aspect of uh, this uh, uh, virus and everything of this pandemic uh, uh, Dr. Barbara Brown Taylor, Christian, mentioned to me that this reminds her of Ramadan, and we are having to fast from the things we normally do. We are, our activities that we normally do, we had to uh, uh, pull back from that and learn some self-restraint and some uh, uh, and, and and control our appetites for things. And so, yes, it does have a ringing of Ramadan. Uh, I've had to do. Weddings with just uh, less than 10 people. I've done maybe seven or eight of those weddings. What, what bothers most of us most are the funerals. Uh, probably I've, I've done over 20 funerals during this past. Normally it would be like five or six, but 20. And we've lost uh, two imams of the city, uh, Imam William Abdul Rahim 
uh, and Imam uh, uh, Nashid Abdul Khaled, two very important imams in the city, passed during this time, and it's related to the to the virus. But one of the good things that has come out is that uh, we have a very active food pantry that uh, had just been serving the Muslim community, but since the pandemic, this they've been serving the whole East Atlanta community. I was lined up on every Wednesday to come and and get these bundles of food that is also tied to the uh, the, the uh, Atlanta Food Bank, and and we provide this food and uh, inspiration to the people that come. So it's been a, it's a, oh, been it's... an unusual year and a trying year, but uh, we made it through it. Kevin, why don't we? Uh, I want to dig deeper into these themes, but Kevin Riley, why don't you weigh in? Well, I, I have to appreciate uh, Peter's joke about televangelism. I've got my pen at the ready for when he announces a number we can call to donate to. But um, <laughs> uh, I, I want to go back to something that Joanna uh, said, because it, it, it is personal and something I've struggled with. You know, you mentioned, Joanna, uh, avoiding the headlines of the day and kind of centering yourself. And, and as the person who is responsible for many of the headlines of the day, I know that um, in, in even in emails from readers or calls from readers, I realize that angry or anxious or emotional people are, are trying to find some way to deal with that. And they kind of, they can direct it at me or they can direct it at the newspaper because there's they need a place to direct all of this emotion and anxiety they're feeling. So as a faith leader, how do you handle that? I'm sure that when you talk to someone, whether it's in a sort of very formal pastoral situation or just informally as a friend, you know, you, you spot that emotion and anxiety and realize that it, it, people have to have a place to release that, right? Well, they do. And it, you know, but you know, this, 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 a, a tsunami of emotion uh, that manifests itself as uh, anger and rage. I think it grows out of fear and uh, uh, fear of change, fear of death. Uh, and what you what you do is uh, not say you shouldn't feel that way. Uh, you know, you you just accept the fact that these are natural human reactions. But if, particularly, I think uh, the faith community can redirect those genuine, authentic feelings uh, in into more constructive ways. I I, I love something that Saint Augustine said. He said that um, hope has two daughters. Uh, one is anger at what mm. is and should not be, and so that's a you know that's that's just a real and natural thing. The other is courage to make what ought to be come to be, and mm. I, I, I just think that's a portal through which we can. Go and I, it's not. I'm very. I'm almost a news junkie. Uh, it's not that I don't rely on the news, but I don't want that to define all of reality. There is a larger reality. There's a goodness at the base of things. There is hope for this country. There, there is, uh, uh, you know, there are just good things that can happen and will happen. Uh, I, I, one of my 
favorite writers is Frederick Beekner, who said, uh, beautiful things happen, terrible things happen, um, and I'm glad to be alive. And uh, that's the way it is. Know, it's a big, big mix. Peter Berg and uh, Kevin Muriel, I uh, watched or, or read uh, some sermons uh, of yours, and there was a theme that I thought was interesting that both of you picked up on, Peter. Uh, in one of your sermons, if you don't mind my quoting you, you say, something monumental is taking place in the world in front of which all of us must stand at attention. In the chaos all around us, though, sometimes God speaks to us, too, if only we would listen. We're hearing so much from God right now, and you go on and talk about um, that in the midst of calamity, um, we uh, have a call to find deeper, more caring, and more mutually beneficial relationships. That's your sermon. Kevin Muriel, you, I think at your Christmas sermon, was titled Finding Peace in Chaos. And I think all of that comes together, Peter. Um, it, it, they're very similar themes. How do we look beyond the chaos and find a place where we are centered? Is it God? who we look to to center us? Um, is that our best hope? Is it um, more secular, family, friends? Is it all of that? Peter and Kevin, I'd love to get your thoughts on that. Yeah, I mean, I would say yes, yes, and yes. Uh, and, and uh, <laughs> you know, we are, we are uh, you know, faith leaders. And, uh, of course, uh, helping uh, uh, our congregants and our families find meaning is at the center of who we are and what we do. So what I tried to do in that sermon, Bill, that you referenced is, you know, there's so many different ways that we talk about God and metaphors that we use, right? So, you know, when we teach our kids, we say God is like a watchmaker. God is like a puppeteer. God is like a football coach. Um, and, and then we teach them that, you know, uh, you know what, what Elijah teaches us, that God is a still, small voice. And so what I said to the congregation this year is, uh, this is not a still, small voice kind of year. Um, we, we prefer to see God as the still small voice, but, um, you know, in, with, with, uh, as Kevin said, racism and anti-Semitism, and of course this virus, this is no still small voice kind of year. And there are many different ways in which, you know, we can see God. Um, and we, and we've learned so, so many lessons. We've learned about neighborliness, right? I mean, remember everybody standing and clapping and cheering for all the doctors and the nurses, um, yeah, we've learned about, you know, people bringing food for each other and teaching elderly folks how to use com computers. Um, uh, but we've also learned um, that the world isn't the same and, and we can't be the same. Um, um, and this shelter in place mode has really given us a time to reflect more than, than, than any other time in, in, in our history. And what we're learning is wisdom. And, and we're actually learning that um, we're good at, you know, you know, the imposter syndrome uh, where everybody thinks they can't, nobody thinks they can do anything well. And we've actually learned that we can do things. We can, I learned that, I, you know, I built this thing in my closet. I didn't even know I could do that. Um, right. And uh, <laughs> um, we're, all, we're all learning how to, how to, how to, how to do things. And, um, um, uh, you know, it reminds me of Jeremiah, right? The prophet who said, I'm too young. Uh, I can't do this. And what we're learning is that we, we can do it. And um, the new, let's, I'd like to think of the new year as the antidote to the imposter syndrome, right? This idea um, that, that God, God is speaking to us. And, 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 I, and, and I, you know, before I, Kevin jumps in, I just want to um, 
you know, say when we talk about this new normal, that, that I think God is giving us this new vision, um, this new way to look at the world. And so what if we looked at the world this year and, and imagined what the environment might look like, um, knowing that, um, uh, you know, we had the cars off the streets for all those months, or, or imagine treating prisoners differently, or even releasing those who don't constitute a threat to society, or, or mobilizing generous financing for people who are, are needy. Um, and the list goes on and on and on. So um, we're given now in this pandemic this prophetic task, and to know that God is present and God will see us through, um, um, but, but we can imagine the world differently. And that's a pretty unique opportunity and a challenge, and it's also a blessing. I, I, lo- I love that because, Kevin Muriel, what Peter Berg is saying is it's not just finding peace in chaos, it's finding goodness in chaos, right. Kevin yeah. Muriel. Yeah, and I also I invited Kevin to speak to to our synagogue on Friday night. That's another blessing in the pandemic. <laughs> Look, y'all, Peter will tell you that I'm a huge fan of his, and as you can hear him talk through his sermon, I know it was prophetic in so many ways. And one of the things that he just touched on, I think for me that I've seen in this year, and one of the things that I tried to convey uh, in the sermon, Finding Peace and Chaos, is that that you can find purpose in the midst of all of this. Um, That I think if 2020 has taught us anything, it's how to look introspectively and how to be less codependent on those things that we really thought we needed, that we kind of figured out when when they were taken away from us, you know, that we really didn't need as much. Some of the places that we were trying to go to mask you know, perhaps taking the time to spend with ourselves or spend with our family, the busyness of life. I mean, this pandemic had to slow everyone down. And and I'll be the very first one to say uh, that it had to slow me down as a fake leader to really focus in on some of those things um, that, you know, through the years, my spiritual disciplines, uh, taking care of my health, making sure um, that, you know, I'm there for my family, prioritizing them, prioritizing certain things at the church so that, um, so that our congregation uh, can grow. I think for, for many people, not having that place of refuge uh, centered around the, the house of worship was very difficult. Uh, that's one of the things that I've seen. Not being able to go to church has just been tough for so many, not being able to gather uh, as the beloved community for so many. And I, I think I underestimated how how people felt about that, just to be quite honest, um, until, you know, we started getting the emails and the letters and the calls, uh, and people really kind of went into a depressive state about not being able to come and gather because that was their sense of relief. Um, and so doing it via Zoom, doing it, you know, virtually is great, but we crave human interaction. Um, and so, what I will what I will uh, conclude by saying is that um, depression is real. I think it's uh, it has become uh, I think exacerbated by the pandemic. Uh, it has come from the lay side, I think, as well as the clergy side. Uh, and you know I, what I've tried to do is to press our members to make sure that you get counseling, make sure uh, that you are attending to you know your mental health, your physical well being, uh, as well as those spiritual disciplines. So. In, in essence, you know, we can find peace in chaos uh, if we attend to those things. All right. I've got to find a break in the midst of a wonderful conversation, and now's the time I've got to take it. Uh, we'll come back with a lot more with our panel today 
Uh, Kevin Riley, I want to tee you up to uh, start us off in the second segment of the show. But first, these messages. Thanks for listening to Political Rewind. If you like this show, you'll also like Georgia Today. It's a daily podcast from GPB News, bringing you compelling stories and in-depth reporting that you won't hear anywhere else. Join me, Peter Biello, for this quick and convenient way to get the best of GPB News' extensive coverage of the topics that matter to you, delivered directly to your device every weekday afternoon. We're uh, shaking off politics today and saying goodbye to 2020 with some of the most respected and most inspirational faith leaders in uh, Metro Atlanta, Imam Pliman Alamin, Reverend Joanne Adams, Rabbi Peter Berg, and Reverend Kevin Muriel. And Kevin Riley, of course, is here. Kevin, why don't you start off this segment of the show? All right, I'm going to try Kevin something, uh, Bill. I'm going to set up a, a question for Pleman here. I'm coming your way, and, and I hope that lightning doesn't strike me as I try to uh, set this up. So I, of course, am not a faith leader, but if I have a congregation, it's the journalists uh, at the AJC, and if I have a house of worship, it's our newsroom. And if I've learned anything uh, during this pandemic, it's a uh, many of the things we've talked about here and a deep appreciation for people that I thought I knew well, and now I know better because of the stress this has put on us. Philemon, you mentioned funerals and weddings, and um, I think that that has been one of the most difficult things, and certainly in our newsroom, as we've watched people's, the important rituals of life be interrupted and disrupted. Um, how have you handled that? When someone has come to you with that moment, they, they literally the most important moments of a life in a family, and they cannot be they cannot be handled in the way that everyone either looked forward to or counted on. How have you handled that? Yeah, it's it's very interesting. You know this uh, this pandemic brings to clear a mind that there's one humanity. We have differences in how we see God, but it, it, we understand this idea that there's one humanity. And so had, we have been dealing with depressions and things individually, but now we have to look at it, uh, community depression, collective depression. One of the benefits that has come out is an enhanced opportunity for spirituality and responsibility. Normally when someone passes, we have a group of, if it's a man, we have a group of men that go out and wash the body and shroud the body, and we try to bury it within two or three days. Uh, under the pandemic now, the family has greater responsibility to wash that male's body or, or the women in the family to wash that female's body. And it gives them a, a, a deeper appreciation, not only of death, but of life that uh, the value of life and, and to see death uh, within the idea of life, that, that's, that you, when you handle a body, you realize that's the person, the, the spirit, the soul is no longer there. But, but I owe this person's body the decency of cleaning it and shrouding it and, and getting it back to the earth. And so families begin to lose this fear of death they still respect death, but they see it within the context of life. So um, we've gotten back down to that where even your prayers, 
that you're responsible for these five prayers in your household. You, you can't just come to the mosque and some uh, imam leads the prayer and you leave. You are responsible for these prayers within your own household. And so it gets back to the beginning of things where as individuals, we take up this responsibility and we begin to spread that responsibility throughout our families. Um, yes. Kevin Muriel, uh, let me bring you in on that because you said at the very beginning of the show that you've lost members of your congregation uh, to COVID. Um, we lost my father-in-law uh, in May, and we know what it's like to have a lonely funeral, socially distanced, not able to celebrate the life in the way that he deserved. How hard has this been for you as a pastor to minister to families as they've lost loved ones? Oh, it's been extremely difficult. And, uh, you know, especially those who... Um, you know, when you think about how families had to say goodbye, a lot of them could not be with their loved ones when they were passing away. Um, and, you know, to know that we couldn't gather with more than 10 people uh, at a funeral, uh, we had to have graveside services you know, because we were trying to figure out what COVID was and how it was impacting us. Um, to have to have a, a graveside service for the dean of the civil rights movement, who was a former pastor mm-hmm. of Cascade, um, my mentor, Dr. Joseph Lowry, uh, mm-hmm. that was uh, so difficult. Um, but to try to honor his life uh, in the midst of a pandemic. So it's just been very difficult, uh, Bill. And uh, I know that's, you know, obviously not, not unique to us. It's been difficult for everyone. You know, there are days that I um, um, uh, resonate with uh, uh, nurses and doctors when they talk about being on the front line, and I just I just come home and cry um, it, because the day has been so brutal and so difficult and so sad, um, and we've learned to 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 invent ways to do rituals, right? So we have, um, you know, in Jewish tradition, when when someone's about to die, there's a a farewell ritual, uh, a final ritual called Vidui. And, and uh, we've done that from the ICU, you know, via a telephone, which is just, uh, it's just impossible. Uh, we've had funerals where a surviving spouse with COVID um, sits in the car at the cemetery and can't get out of the car. And, 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 and we had this in my own family with, with my mother-in-law. Um, and it's just a very difficult situation. And I don't want to, um, us to miss the happy occasions, too, because those have been equally difficult. Um, when we were first sheltering in place, um, I had to cancel and reschedule about 30 weddings and about 50 B'nai Mitzvah. Um, my own, my twins are becoming B'nai Mitzvah, the plural for Bar Mitzvah, um, coming up very soon. And it's possible that we'll have zero family present at this most important moment in, um, in their lives. And so we've had to learn how to, to do this where we can bring them in on, on, on Zoom and, 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 and in new and different ways. Uh, but, but it has been very, very difficult. And I think our job as clergy now is to figure out how do we recreate these rituals so that um, they can be meaningful in, in a time that is, we've, we've never lived through before. And, and that's what's taking so much of our time and energy is trying to figure out how to be there for people um, and, and recreate these rituals. Yeah. But there's 
just no way to express the admiration I have for people, uh, for you uh, gentlemen here and for everyone who's leading a congregation right now. And that sort of reinvention of uh, ritual is so key. We we can't live without ritual. We 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 really can't. It's it's sort of the framework that uh, holds us together as a community, as citizens of the world. I remember a, a member of my church whose uh, marriage had fallen apart, and a number of other things had tragedies had befallen, and she said. Uh, what what keeps my bones together is coming to worship and going through the ritual. And it, you know, you just, that's such a big deal. I did a funeral just two weeks ago for a elderly lady in a giant sanctuary. There were about 30 people there. And, you know, I, I could have just sat down behind the pulpit and cried because it was so sad. And, 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 you know, you just couldn't, that spirit that shows up when everybody's there. Uh, but my job was to uh, claim the promises of, uh, you know, life after death and the goodness of life and to do it in a context that's hard as all get out, but it can be done. A wedding that we went to not long ago, just a few people there. And I thought, well, yeah, this is pretty good. You you know, in the sense that they didn't have to spend $150,000 on, you know, wedding cake and a reception. And it was so sweet. It was all about what a wedding is about and not all the trimmings. Um, but we can't live without rituals and we can't live without one another. I, Bill, if I could just make a, a recommendation. Uh, on Christmas afternoon, we watched the new George Clooney movie. Uh, the <laughs> title of it is uh, Midnight Sky, I think. And, yeah. you know, I'm, I'm kind of halfway in love with George Clooney. Uh, <laughs> so that's what drew us to it. Uh, but, you know, and it's a, it's a cheesy movie in some ways, but I loved it. And the whole deal is about connection. The whole theme of that movie, you know, is George Clooney in the Arctic, and he's trying to connect, uh, you know, all these spaceships and everything. And, and it's all about can we connect? Can we be together? And, uh, that's the that's the human challenge and what we need so much. And ritual connects us with the past thousands of years and connects us with the future too. Indispensable. I uh, gotta get to our final break of the show. I have to say I the words that you're all sharing are so meaningful to me. Um, and I'm going to remember a lot of them. I think maybe one of the images I will take away from the show is hearing one of the most distinguished pastors in uh, Georgia uh, acknowledge that she has a crush on George Clooney. Thank you for that <laughs> confession, <laughs> Johanna Adams. We'll be right. <laughs> we'll be back with more. <laughs> Um, Reverend Kevin Muriel, if I could start with you and then bring everybody else in on this part of the conversation. Um, we know that Dr. King famously said that the most segregated hour in American life is during uh, Sunday 
uh, church services. Uh, we also know that we're living through unbelievably partisan times. The toxicity of the partisanship is overwhelming right now. And nothing in the, about the pandemic, I think, has changed that. If anything, it's been exacerbated because we're all living uh, in our uh, own uh, uh, little worlds. Um, is there a role? Is there a way that you as a pastor and, and the rest of you in this can offer words that attempt as hard as it is to figure out how we come together uh, in these difficult times? Yeah, thanks for that question, Bill. Um, I argued in one of my sermons early in in the pandemic, uh, especially during the summertime when we saw the protesting, um, the wave of protest throughout uh, the country. And what I loved about the protests uh, were the diversity. I mean, the diversity was um, was encouraging. Um, and one of the things that I argued was that, you know, that and from a spiritual perspective, that God's pushing the pause button on our society so that we could uh, pay attention uh, to racial injustice uh, that is right before us, that we can't do anything else. You can't go to a ball game. You know, you can't go to restaurants. You can't ignore it. It is right here before us. Uh, and I think that is one of the things that um, has has propelled us, I think, into deeper conversations about racial justice uh, in in this country. And so I think if there's one thing uh, that we can do as faith leaders and uh, myself, Peter Berg, and uh, and uh, Bill Britt, if you read our, our piece in the AJC, we came together and we, we did a, um, an op-ed uh, about the things that were happening during the, during the summer and around racial justice, um, particularly around um, uh, one of the bills that was supposed to be passed here in Georgia that, that did actually pass. And so we are, I think the collaborative effort within the faith community um, should be something that, you know, we pursue more often because we can tackle issues uh, in a way that that brings unity, that brings peace, uh, and also shows that, you know, hey, look, we can be the example if we if we choose to be so. I, uh, you know, as I as I think about this new year, um, you know, to me, and, and I look at all these challenges that, that we've been talking about, there really are, there's three ways, there's three ways to go, right? One way that we people look at a new year is with fear, right? We, we, uh, we try to uh, turn away and escape the, the friendlier sense of the past. We pull the covers over our head and we say, uh, you know, this is it. I can't take it. It's what Jonah did, right? He, Jonah was, God said, go to Nineveh. He said, forget it, and went to go to sleep at the bottom of the ship. <laughs> so w w one option is fear. The second option um, is, is to face the new year more boldly. It's like a foolish optimism, maybe. Forget the past and seize the future, right? You know, the self-help guru who said, uh, forget yesterday, it's already forgotten you. Or, you know, it's the Princess Elsa, like, let it go, let it go. Uh, that, that that's option two, and I don't think that works either. So, uh, you know, for, from a faith perspective, I want to turn to Isaiah, um, who shows us a, a third way that we can look at this new year with all of the challenges of of of, of uh, neither closing our eyes and pulling the covers over our head, uh, nor foolishly trying to run away from the past. And and Isaiah is really honest about the future because he knows it's uncertain. Um, it's like a foggy canyon. 
And Isaiah speaks to the Jewish people right at the point when they're poised between a painful past and an uncertain future. It says, remember not the former things. Don't consider the old things. God will do a new thing. And, and that's what like, I want us to focus on as we, we enter this new year, that this is what God does for us. God helps us to use the year that's passed to make our way into a new year and helps us uh, uh, to you know, pour water into our thirsty souls. And God's saying, don't consider the things of old. Don't stunt your future. Make your past a springboard for a launching pad for tomorrow. And the new year calls upon us to do that. There's a verse in the Quran that says, uh, did you think that you would enter the heaven of the paradise without such difficulties as came to those before you. Uh, they before you encountered suffering and adversity and were so shaken in spirit that even the messenger of God and those with him asked, when comes the help of God? Yeah. And the Quran responds with, the help of God is always near. The help of God is always near. So one of these benefits is that we, we, we can't rely on everybody else, mama and daddy. You really have to establish a relationship with God, with the reality, with truth. And so uh, one of the people that we lost, uh, who was a friend of mine, actually, was uh, Rabbi Jonathan Sachs. Uh, and uh, Great, uh, Rabbi, Rabbi Sachs, he said that uh, optimism is the belief that things will get better, but hope is the faith that together we can make things better. Optimism is a passive virtue, he said. Hope is an active one. So we, we have this opportunity to make this year better, but we have to know, as religious folk, we have to know that God is always present. God is always present, and even though I can't hug my family that's uh, living in another part of the, of the country, God is always present, and sometimes we miss the reality of the presence of God, because we are so engaged in our own shadows, our own realities. The, the Buddhists say, if you step out of your own shadow, maybe you can see the light. The light is present. And, and I think that this is one of the things we'll pull from the pandemic, that we have the strength to, to survive the worst of circumstances, but it does require faith, it does require hope, and it does require uh, a, a commitment, not only to my life, but to the life of others as well. Uh, Plimon reminds uh, me that I have sometimes, when I've talked to my kids and friends, uh, that I've said, hey, you know, someday these are the stories we're going to tell about how we live through the pandemic and how, and, and it's, we all know that this is true, right? If you go into a, you know, if you sat down and talked to 10 people and you ask them, what's the best thing, greatest thing, most important thing you've ever done, they will almost always to a person recount a story of overcoming adversity. Because those are the moments that change us, that inspire us, that make us better. And, and in, in the rearview mirror are never nearly as bad as they felt at the time. 
Yeah. That is a, that, that uh, Kevin Riley. Uh, you fit right into this group. That was a great. Uh, God, thank you for that observation, Joanna Adams. I I've been saving this toward as we get toward the end of our conversation, and I want to because you sent me this story. I want to start with you, and I hope we'll have time for everybody to weigh in at least a little. Um, these are tough times. We've talked about the difficulties. I'd like to. Uh, Plemon sent us in the direction. So did uh, Kevin and Peter. Let's leave it with some hope. Um, Joanna, you sent me a story about a woman who prayed to God and asked why there's so much suffering in the world. And his response, which you sent, absolutely is the way that we should say the goodbye to 2020. What was God's response? Uh, the Lord responded, I did do something. I created you. And if we keep sitting around you know, waiting for, uh, you know, lightning strikes to change things. We are on this earth uh, to make it better. And, uh, you know, we have a job to do. And I I love Peter's quoting Isaiah. Uh, Not only does God say, I'm doing a new thing. The, The text goes on to say, and look, even now, it's breaking forth. What's the matter with you? Don't you see it? Don't you see it? Eyes <laughs> on things that are hopeful and possible, and for goodness' sake, do it. Um, we're here on this earth to be agents of the good. Yeah, every moment Kevin, in history has led uh, Peter. to to every moment in history has led to. Uh, to something positive, right? In, in the exile of the Jewish people leads to the creation of the synagogue. The destruction of the temple leads to rabbinic Judaism. The, the Dreyfus affair leads to political Zionism. Here in Atlanta, the temple bombing leads to the trauma of uh, uh, healing the trauma from the lynching of Leo Frank. So, um, so uh, you know, uh, Kevin Riley's right. We're going to emerge from this, and we're going to build a better world somehow. Kevin Muriel, again, that story. The woman says, why don't you do something about the suffering, Lord? And the Lord answers, I did. I created you. That is a gorgeous, gorgeous story. We've lost you. Are you muted, Kevin? Kevin, have you muted yes, yourself? Okay, we just now. lost you. Yes. Uh, speaking yeah. of creation, during this pandemic, um, my wife and I welcomed our son into this world. He was born oh. June the 30th. <laughs> Right. Right. 2020. <laughs> so creation in the midst of chaos, yeah. it happened. Yeah. Uh, and to wake up every morning to see him, uh, that's the hope that I look forward to every day. Um, you know, since we're since we're in the Old Testament, I have to give give us this text from Jeremiah 29, <laughs> 11, uh, something that I've held on to that it's just helped to to guide me through this time. For I know the plans that I have for you, declares the Lord. There are still plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you a future and a hope. Uh, there is hope that's on the way. Oh, well, I've got to say, if th- we are out of time, and that's a beautiful way to end uh, this show today. Uh, Kevin Muriel, Peter Berg, Joanna Adams, Plimon Alamin, Kevin Riley, thank you all so much for being here. Um, as we leave you today, we want to start talking, and we have a little bit, about the small comforts that uh, have... Uh, giving you some joy in difficult times. For Joanna Adams, it's George Clooney and Midnight Sky. For me, for Amelia Brock, 
for my good friend, I know Kenny Leon, who's working on a movie about her life. It's the great Mahalia Jackson. What better way to send off 2020 than to listen to her sing this gorgeous song. Thank you all for being here. We're going to take tomorrow off. We'll see you again on Monday for yet another Political Rewind. Bye, everybody. He's got a hip-